This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, Icelandic singer-songwriter Leve is taking the world by storm by using a very old-school, jazzy sound of standards in the modern age with a little reinvention. She shares with us about her inspirations, her love for jazz, and why today's audiences crave such an old-school sound. It's very romantic. Are You Okay With is on the podcast, too. Are you okay with Halloween candy? What about Taylor Swift? And Ryan's horror movie marathon concludes with a review of Babadook, a film that he believes to be the scariest ever made, and he's going to try to talk you into watching it. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. I am very excited to introduce to you um, somebody that you may have heard of, you may not have heard of, uh, the first Leve that I've ever met in my life. So that's a new name to me, Leve, and um, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so your uh, your name, let's start there because it is a, it, for me, it's a strange name. It's a new name. It's a beautiful name. Thank you. Um, help everybody understand your background and where you're from because it is simple, but at the same time, it's kind of complicated. Uh, yeah, I am um I'm Icelandic, um, born and raised in Iceland, and Leve is an Icelandic name. It comes from Norse mythology. It's a fairly common female name in Iceland. So. Is it really? Hey? Yeah. Um, I, Does it translate to an English name? Is there like a similar, like a no. like a Pierre as a Peter? No. Hey? No, it's just a name from Norse mythology, and in mythology books in English, it's also uh, Leve. But it looks like Poppy huh. because it's spelled L-A-U-F-E-Y. Well. Because of the Nordic thing, I was thinking more of a Laufey, right? right? How you kind of yeah, get into I've that. Yeah, I've heard many yeah. different versions of it and completely understand, you know, all the different versions that, you know, people mm-hmm. think it is. But yeah, the AU sound in Icelandic creates like an A sound. But mm-hmm. um, besides that, I am also half Chinese, and um, but I live in the States and lived in Washington, D.C. from the ages of six to nine and picked up an American accent that I haven't dropped since. So... I'm yeah. definitely a mix of cultures, but... Uh, so what languages do you speak then? I speak Icelandic, English, and Mandarin Chinese. Wow, hey, that's a neat mix. I don't know if there's a lot of of, uh, of different definitely. like people that speak those those three languages. Yeah, there, I've always had a secret language with... I have, a, I have an identical twin sister, and, um, and we speak the same set of languages and our joke is kind of wherever we are in the world we always have at least one secret language um save the icelandic embassy in china and the chinese embassy in iceland those are right that would make sense where we are not safe (laughs) no you cannot tell secrets and talk about people quietly in the background not to mention the whole weird twin thing where you sort of have your own language anyway from what i've heard you know we made that joke for the first time in an uber a couple of days ago and the uber i think we we're both just in a bit of a silly mood and the uber driver was like what language are you speaking mm-hmm. speaking icelandic and we both at the same time for some reason responded oh oh it's our own you, we're twins it's our own secret language <laughs> <laughs> and, we it. awesome. and it's such a weird language that like you know, your ear is kind of trained that you don't understand French or Italian or, or German. You, like, you can kind of gauge what the language is. Icelandic is, like, so ungaugeable because there are only, like, 300,000 people that speak it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's awesome. 
Um, I have so many questions and it's not even about your music. It's just about sort of living in these places, but we should talk about the music too. Um, the, uh, let's get into the music and then I'll, I'll pick into your personal life and all the things about places you've lived here in a second. Cause, uh, the, the art that you are creating, um, composer, producer, multi-instruments, jazzy, like it, it's, it's not, it's not what you'd think from a typical sort of pop, if you will, but yet you've got this bewitched uh, little tour jaunt that you've been on and, and people are showing up to see you do your thing. And, and so that's, it must feel so cool. It's, it feels really, really wonderful. And, and definitely, you know, the, the kind of, I, I came, I come from a classical music background and a jazz music background and, and, but I always wanted to make music kind of for, you know, a modern audience like i didn't want it to be known as you know jazz or jazz or older music or anything i kind of just wanted to be music although it is very heavily inspired by that music mm -hmm. um, so yeah it's been really cool seeing people come out to shows and especially you know younger audiences that you wouldn't expect to be listening to this kind of music and and um it's cool it feels like a rare example of doing exactly what you know makes you unique and it actually working <laughs> yeah like this is um th this is uh this is so cool to me that you've taken that but there are some very um veteran vintage jazz standards that are from what i understand that are in your love affair right like oh absolutely. Uh, yeah and so that's where i get really intrigued because there is this magical romance that of that era of those jazz standards. I love it. I mean, give me a cold day. I mean, if you're from Iceland and you know cold, <laughs> um, then give me a cold day and a nice fire and some candlelight or whatever, and just go about your day with these sort of jazz standards in the background. And it, it, it creates this magical feeling, this magical romance. And to be able to take that, yeah, mix it into what you're doing today and make it still be um, current and relevant um, that that's a romantic place. I mean, there must be some uh, secret romantic place in your heart in order to be able to express that every day. Definitely. I mean, you know, that that's exactly, you know, the essence of that music that I'm trying to capture and keep alive today. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of romanticism. I think growing up in Iceland and, and between so many countries as well and cultures and I, I became kind of a dreamer as a kid and, and I've always had kind of like a a wanderlust kind of running through me and and um and I could definitely you know hear and and feel that beauty through the music of that time and and yeah. um and definitely want to infuse that into my own music as well and it's uh yeah it's beyond me that you know that it's being received because that was always my favorite kind of music to listen to and this kind of transported uh, the sound that transports you to a different time yeah. and place and that's kind of what I wanted to capture the essence of. But the stories themselves are, you know, stories of my life. They're they're modern stories. So I like to say it's like modern stories with old sounds. Yeah. And maybe an old soul, I would say, uh, and deep inside you. Definitely. Um, yeah. And um, so where, where do you want to take me then? If you're going to take me on this journey of these old sounds and these new stories, I mean, when you, I mean, you had me at Ella Fitzgerald. Um, so when, when you're looking at, you know, dream a little dream of me and, and these kinds of people and the stories they told, where would you take me? Um, where would you like to take me in your stories? Well, I think one of the most beautiful things about songwriting and, is and, um, and I don't, 
Yeah, I think one of the most beautiful things about songwriting is that, you know, every song can be, though it means one thing to me, it may mean something to someone else. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I see every single one of my songs as like a little movie, almost like a little story. You know, some of them are very kind of cheeky and funnier and, you know, kind of set in that emotion of like, you know, almost like a drunken kind of you know, crush, whereas other songs you feel crushed because somebody's broken your heart. Um, so I think it's kind of a journey of emotions. And, mm -hmm. um, but also just um, transporting you to, to so I think, you know, these past few years have been quite bleak for a lot of people. And obviously with like political climates and like health climates and stuff, it's like, you know, it's, I think what my generation really wanted was a bit of an escape to be transferred mm -hmm. to something that didn't feel like too current. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I get that. That's, that's cool. I, you know, you said bleak and I, there was a word and I've shared this as much as I can. A producer named Chin and Jetty's, uh, he was with Basis Bass back in the day, performer and producer. And, and he, he used the word in conversation with me recently. Uh, he's been producing for other people. Um, for a long time and he does big name artists, pop artists and stuff. And, and he, um, he said to me, he said, depleted. Oh, he said, I started to release music again because the more that I looked out at people, I wanted to give them a piece of me so they didn't have to feel quite so depleted mm -hmm. in their lives today. And I hear that a little bit and that romance that you're offering to people from what you're seeing in, in maybe people's look at things today. That's, that's, that's very, yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that and that I just, you know, almost want to offer my music up as a form of optimism you know it's as a form of as a form of an escape mm -hmm. or also as a form of consolation you know so many of these feelings and thoughts that i go through are not unique to me at all so many right. people go through them this feeling of being rejected by someone or or um or being in love with a friend or even seeing a stranger on a tube and thinking they're, you know, really attractive and wanting to go up to them. These like micro feelings that we go through, um, whether they're good or bad as, as humans, we just want to relate to people. So I think, you know, finding some sort of consolation in that relatability is really mm -hmm. kind of like where the magic happens for, for my music at least. I like that. Tell me about that. The, um, you know, you said about having, maybe seeing somebody you wish you could talk to, but you didn't have the courage to walk up to them and say, hi. Um, we've all been through that. And that moment is not only in the moment, do you wish you have the courage? And then there's the regret when you walk away and the, oh my God, am I ever going to see them again? Did I just miss my chance? Yeah. And you feel so incredibly alone in that. Exactly. But there is a moment where you get to, well, what if I'm not alone? And yet, you know that everyone else has been through it, yet it feels terribly lonely. Tell me about that. Like those, those are incredibly mo touching things that we all go through. Yeah. Well, I think... I try to find those moments that aren't necessarily written about, you know, there's so many love songs and so many breakup songs. And though I have those songs too, my experience has mostly been everything on the in-between, the confusion and the, you know, the crushes on the tubes and whatnot. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, there is one thing, the thing that I've discovered most as a songwriter is that my feelings are not nearly as unique as I thought they were. Yeah. And it's so helpful for me even putting out songs about these certain, you know, I thought that I was the only one staring at people at coffee shops thinking they were, you know, I just like wondering, oh, I wonder what their name is. And 
and whether mm-hmm. if they think I'm wearing a cool outfit as well. And mm-hmm. the thing is that everybody thinks like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we do. And the reason I know that is because I've put out songs about it and people have resonated with it. Does that help you find your way in that um, I, I, you're bringing to mind a situation that I went through years and years and years ago that um, I'm curious about uh, that which I'll share in a second. The, but does it help you find your way in that you go through that moment and you maybe have that non-confidence moment or, but then when you get into the next moment with someone else in a different, maybe you're, you know, on an airplane, not on a subway and you're like, you know, I'm going to say something this time. Does, does it help you find your way and, and do the songs maybe help you process those bits and pieces as you experience them as well? Yes. Yes. And no, I don't know. I think, it's definitely always hard to say say something. Yeah, um, oh yeah. I can't say I have too many times, but I think the, the the most growth I found in that is just as I've progressed into this career and grown older as a as a woman, I've just mm-hmm. found more confidence in my skin and in my body. So instead mm-hmm. of looking away, I at least look at them. <laughs> Yeah, and but your presence has probably changed, though, right? Oh, yes. Well, just like uh, I think there's more of an air of confidence, but in in a, in cool. a way that I wish I would have developed earlier. Yeah, and if anything else, there's either Mandarin or Icelandic that you can speak a different language and pretend you don't speak English and chicken out <laughs> exactly. of the whole thing. Exactly, I can be like, ah, <laughs> well, and then start speaking Icelandic, ask for directions yeah. in an Icelandic That's accent, right. and then just bail completely. Yes, exactly. Um, the situation that you brought to mind for me was an interesting one. I used to do DJ tours and travel all around and I was DJing one night in Banff and this is probably 20 years ago. It was a long time ago. And there was this, uh, woman came up to me and I remember she walked up and it was like you described when you see somebody and you're like, Oh wow. Kind of moment. Like there was something special about this person that you cannot explain. I don't even know if I would recognize this person if I saw them ever since, but there was something special about this person. And she stood there and she smiled at me and then we didn't really speak and then she disappeared and then she came back later on in the night during the dj set and brought me flowers she had left the club gone out picked flowers and brought me flowers gave me the flowers didn't say anything and then disappeared again and i never saw her again and it was this incredibly romantic moment and i went back i actually rebooked that place again and again and again, hoping that this person would come back. Never saw her again. But what I carried with me was that feeling that she gave me when I was absolutely intrigued when I saw someone special. And if I could go back to my partner, Melanie, now, who is the most wonderful of the humans and who has taught me all about what love is and has taught me that love is a space you give somebody to find themselves and how beautiful that is, That directly comes from the feeling I got from that person that night so many years ago. So to be able to take those moments that you talk about those people that in my mind, I mean, I beat myself up for weeks. I was like, you should have said something, should have got her phone number, man, like all the things. And, but really what it set me on was a whole new course of a new standard of what I wanted love to look and feel like. Right. Yeah. You know, that's such a beautiful story and one that's, you'll you'll be able to tell again and again and and call me a romantic but there's so much beauty in a missed connection it's yeah. but there's so much beauty in a missed connection 
Yeah. Well, we, we think about it in the way that we've lost something. Yeah. But when you talk about it from the beauty of a misconnection, I mean, the, the, core, the new course it sets you on is equally, if not more beautiful, because there's a new standard, there's a new benchmark, there's a new willingness, right? Like you have this, this feeling happens to you and then you have this new willingness to express yourself in a way that maybe you never had before. And I, I can't help but think that that makes you a better person. Oh, definitely. I mean, little things that we see all the time. I've seen, you know, I was at, my, my sister told me, so I played in Detroit uh, two nights ago and and um, sorry, last night. Oh my God, I'm like my tour. This is such a fog, right? <laughs> what? Life on the road. It was indeed last night. Um, and she said there was a girl standing in the back with her, with her, you know, partner or boyfriend, or whatnot. And she was holding the phone um, and filming a, a video of me singing. And her her boyfriend or or you know spouse just simply without saying anything, just takes the camera and lifts it up. Hmm. And it was just like those little moments like that, when I, you know, hear of them or like when my sister saw them, that's like, that's when my standards get higher, you know, and I, and I see and notice little things like that. That's what inspires me the most when it comes to writing. But then it also inspires me as a person, you know, both to do those things for the people around me, but also seek that out for myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that cheerleader mentality, right? Like, um, I mean, that guy might not even let, your music might not have been his thing, but he he's there no, to make sure she got the video. According to my sister, he looked wildly out of place, but he was, <laughs> you know, his girl loved the, the music apparently and was singing along and, and he just goes. Yeah, just happy to be there to make it all happen, right? And that's, that's cool, but that's the romance that takes you back to the romance, the very beginning of, of these, these songs that you seem to connect with that have inspired you to create this and, and how that brings you to this place. So it does go full circle. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, seeking love for you must be an interesting journey <laughs> to uh, find out what your life and how you interpret and find love for yourself yeah. and what that does and, and will look like in the future. That must be an exciting prospect for you. Yes, it is. It's it's definitely hard with the rhythm of life right now when it comes to touring. But yeah, you know, I we're all human at the end of the day, and and it's one thing that I've really found in the past few years. It's like as my career has grown and as success has you know been more prevalent, it literally doesn't change how I approach you know relationships or having a crush or being broken up with or rejected, it always feels the same. The joy is the same. The heartbreak is the same. It doesn't change as you get more successful. Like that, th that feeling doesn't discriminate. It just truly mm -hmm. feels the same. So mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely, you know, interesting, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. I'm, it's, it's good for material songwriting material. <laughs> Oh, I bet it is, right? Like there's no end to all of it when you want to write songs about it. That's that's absolutely for sure. Well, I can tell you this, that um, my partner Mel and I, it's been almost four years now. We've lived in different cities on opposite ends of the country. Wow. And I can tell you that it is absolutely worth the work when you're willing to do it and when the time comes and the person comes and um, to step into all of the unknowns. And like I said, she has taught me that the the empty space that she gives me all she's ever asked for me is more of me 
And so in creating the space for me to give more of me and find me in that, if you ever get the chance, um, that is where the beauty starts because the circumstance of distance and the circumstance of road life um, becomes not important. It becomes that moment you describe of lifting the camera up to make sure your partner gets what they need. Right. Um, um, and that's where that space is found. So I think this is quite beautiful. I, I think this is cool stuff. This is neat. That was, I needed to hear that. That was good. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad we could give you something. You've given us so much. Your songs, like you're talking like hundreds of millions of streams online, Leve. Like we're not talking about like, hey, by the way, congratulations, you got to a thousand. <laughs> like we're talking some mega success coming your way. Um, how does that look for you? And do you feel like you need to get yourself back to DC, like when you were a child or even Iceland or any of these other family roots bits because your, your, your family lineage is a little bit more scattered in history? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I was just in China a month ago playing some concerts and seeing my grandmother and, and, um, I'll be in DC in a couple of days, um, playing and, and recording and, and, um, you know, I'm itching to get back home for the holidays. My grandmother's turning 90 and that's wow. kind of my guiding light um, through this tour to, you know, at the end of it, I can go and spend the holidays at home. I, I love tour, by the way, like performing is my favorite thing in the world, but it definitely uproots you in a way that is very, very funny. Uh, wow. I have my twin sister with me on tour, so I kind of do feel a sense of home everywhere that I go. But, that's nice. um, but yeah, I definitely feel a need to connect with my roots when I'm on tour. I don't know if it's just like the the all the traveling and kind of, you know, not literally being grounded, like literally sleeping on a moving bus that kind of makes me be like, oh, well, maybe the bus should just move home. Yeah. <laughs> Iceland. But I haven't been home to Iceland back. in a year, so I think that's kind of mainly what it where it comes from. Well, I um I love what you're doing. And I think that the more we are able to hear legitimate stories that we think we're alone for, but we actually all go through, um, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I, the more that you are able to share that with people, I'm a bit traditional in that way too, with the old jazzy things. I mean, I've DJed dance music all over the, all over the continent. Um, but the reality is, is that there's something magical about that, the touch and the connection that comes with that. So the fact that you're taking that and keeping that alive is, is beautiful to me. And I, I just, I say, thank you. I, I, I think it's great. I look forward to chatting more. I have a million questions for you. Like I, I want to know about all things family. I want you to speak to me in these languages. I want to <laughs> hear more about the stories of the songs. I want to hear what did this person look like on the tube that you saw that you wrote a song about. And I want to know the part that you were too afraid to put in the song because it's was the one part that you wanted to keep to yourself. Like these are the, I have so many questions like that. <laughs> Well, I got answers for all of them, so... <laughs> I love it. So you got to come back, and good luck on the road, and thanks for spending this time. We're happy to share your music with everybody, and I hope they love it too. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you... Are you... Are you... Okay. 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 Are you okay with... 877-399-9898. You can share your um, you can share your thoughts on these stories anytime here on the show. Okay, that would be awesome. Feel free. 
We always remember 5th of November from Glennie. Thanks, Glennie. Is Glennie's that from the movie? It. Is that what it is? V for yes. Vendetta? We yes. always remember. Is it a true? It's not a true story. Is it a true story? The guy, yes. Yes. A, a guy tried to actually blow up the Houses of Parliament. Now, the, the part about the guy who wears the costume and, and kills fascists, that is not real. The, okay. The guy Fox, though, was a real person who actually did try to blow up the Houses of Parliament. Okay. And so Anonymous, the computer hackers, they were um, hacking computers in the 1700s. Is that how this works? I don't know. This year no, they just like the mask and what it represents. So they, they kind of use it, which they kind of hijacked it now because everybody sees it and goes, oh, it's the Anonymous thing. Ooh. But it's right. not. It's not their thing. They just kinda Well, they are more it. popular than Mr. Fox. Yes, they are. They are. All right. Although the director was James McTagg. How about that? Yeah. I wonder if he's related to Dan. Okay. Um, are you okay with Halloween candy? Mm, I'm not getting any this year. You know, I didn't get a chance to go trick-or-treating. I did no, There's no candy bowls around me. I did, however, buy myself a box of uh, Pocky Sticks. Not hockey sticks. Pock sticks which are like chocolate covered mm -hmm. wafer sticks they're delicious mm -hmm. that's my candy and uh I i'll have some later pokey. but anyway i didn't know that i always called them poke so now i i guess i got oh maybe it, it might be it might be poke it's pro uh, it's i used to get them at the sushi place they used to give them yeah there. yeah these one these ones oh, the little red box with the six it's p-o-c-k-y so it could, it could be, be yeah it's it probably pocky. pocky it's probably yeah. pocky rhymes with hockey um Okay, Halloween candy. I there's a I buy the full size bars whenever I can, not because I want to be cool or be a guy that gives us full size bars. It just means that whatever's left over is full size bars. It's quite selfish <laughs> for you, for me. <laughs> yeah. But another year, another dose of candy and two liters of pot. The Walton family in Calgary handed out two thousand bottles of pop this year. It's a tradition that started in 2013 when Shane Walton bought twelve bottles for some fun. And our buddy Ben O'Hara Byrne from a little more conversation had him, Shane, on his show last night. Yeah. And it literally 10 years ago, it's my 10th year of doing it. And the first year I, you know, we had a few kids come, but it was just like, I just thought it was hilarious. And my wife's first comment was, was like, why are you getting that? And I'm like, cause it's funny. <laughs> she's like, you're such an idiot. And then now 10 years later, you see her, she's all dressed up, taking orders oh. like right into it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm an idiot, all right. Uh, I, I read somewhere that people people thought you must have must have some sort of back pain business <laughs> to try and give out something that heavy at Halloween, but everyone seems to really love it. You know what? In the first few years, there was it was it was funny because there was so many meltdowns because right. you'd have like three or four little kids come from the same family, and then they'd all bring their pot back to their dad, right? And he, he's like, "What do you want me to do with this?" And they're like, "Well, we can't carry it." And then he'd have to carry like, you know, 15, 20 pounds and or tell, they try to tell the kids are going to take back three and only can have one. And that, yeah, right. try telling that to a kid. Uh, that's awesome. That's Ben O'Hara Byrne mm -hmm. with Shane Walton. And he gives out two liter bottles of pop. Now, here's the catch. If you go early, you guarantee yourself a bottle of pop. If you wait because it's the end of the line and they're so heavy, you might not get your bottle of pop. Two thousand. I'm curious to see how high two thousand bottles uh, 2,000 two-liter bottles of pop stack up. Uh, it, that's amazing. You can see it. There's a video they posted on TikTok. And uh, earlier today, 
it had over it had about six million views on TikTok. It went pretty Amazing. viral. So okay. it's just it looks like the back room of a, of a convenience store when they have nice. overstocked two liters. I think I also live in the same neighborhood as this guy. I'm pretty sure I live very close to this guy. Hmm. Very I should cool. probably go well, try to find it. How about you do us a favor and you put that up at shiftheads.ca in the Facebook group so everyone can see the video. That would be cool. Um, the Waltons told the Calgary Herald that the tradition brings an awful lot of attention. A few families have found bottles in their driveways the next morning after tired parents decided to drop off dead weight. <laughs> <laughs> Some parents try and avoid the stage five meltdowns assisting their kids that they're not. They're allowed to just have one bottle, not one bottle each. All right. Halloween candy. Sure. Let's do it. This next story will start out of context. Ooh, piece of candy. Are you okay with Halloween candy? Oh, I would say the best Halloween candy. Like my favorite is Kit Kat, but the one I'm most excited to see in the bag were the gummy cheeseburgers. They came in these little plastic uh, containers. Yeah. yeah, And it was just a little gummy cheeseburger. And it was the candy you could only find at Halloween. And it tasted so good. And you would savor them. And uh, yeah, I would I would kill for one of those right now. Melanie's kids out uh, trick or treating, and they got Christmas candy and candy canes this year. What? Well, and that could go two ways, were they right? Orange, like and black. Well, no, like, they were they, they were theme? proper. But think about it: all of your ha- all of your Christmas candy from last year, all the stuff that you didn't get rid of, oh. and how many candy canes do you have lying around that are probably old and gummy and gross. And they're clearly, I think, Mel was like, maybe they're just early. And I'm like, maybe they're just late and they're clearing out their stock of stuff that they can't give to anybody. I Candy canes for Halloween's genius, though. I like that. Yeah, but I remember, like, you can get flavored candy canes. So they probably make, like, a black and orange, you know, oh, probably. like candy cane. It's wrong, stuff. but yeah, it, it is. No. There's one flavor of candy cane. And that is the Mint. peppermint. That's it. Correct. It's the only flavor. Yeah, all the other Anything else is you don't belong. Correct. Anyway, um, a Vicodin might be a nice Halloween candy gift to give out. Uh, no, just joking. Don't do that. If you went trick-or-treating in the West Shore of BC last night, you need to check your kid's candy bag. There's an article from globalnews.ca that says the police received a call from an elderly citizen of Colwood who advised they believed they inadvertently handed out their medication to children who were trick-or-treating. The elderly citizen was handing out candy from a single-family home near the intersection of Bet Drive and Charlotte Drive in Colwood. This elderly citizen, who is in their late 80s, uh, probably so excited to see the kids, called mm-hmm. police when they realized they were missing several packs of their medication that had been sitting near the candy bowl earlier on in the evening. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's scary right. stuff, that's man. Disaster. It's not funny. Stop laughing, Shane. Um, police believe at least four of these yellow containers, you know, those sort of, you know, like the Monday to Friday pill containers, yeah. it's like those yeah, except in a, a four by, um, containing apple level carb medication used to treat Parkinson's disease may have been handed out to children, uh, trick or treating in the area, which would give your kids a, I don't know the consequences, probably not good for them. One nope. hell of a dopamine bump. Um, police urge parents and guardians who are in the area to please check their children's candy bags thoroughly. If you spot one of the containers, keep it away from the kid. Obviously, you can turn found containers into the police or your local pharmacy. Uh, now, if you think your child has ingested this, seek medical attention right away. I don't mean to laugh because it's not funny, and I hope nobody gets hurt, obviously. But this poor little old lady, 
He's just trying to do Halloween. I know. And then had the and nerve, could have, could have said nothing, but had the nerve just in case. And I mean, maybe put them in the drawer and didn't realize it, but still called police and said, police and said, Oh, I mean, just that's to the, be sure. Oh, just good to be sure. Him. That's the yeah. integrity part that I love that. I mean, that's a good news story. As long as nobody gets hurt. Um, the, just the attempt to get in front of it, not be worried about anything. So, <sighs> okay. Are you okay with, uh, guess what? What? Halloween candy. No way. <laughs> Least favorite licorice. Can't do licorice. There's no good oh. flavor for me. It, I just don't do it. I don't licorice like licorice. Good, man. No fat. Yeah. I don't really like the, I like the first bite of licorice is amazing. The first like split second. And then the flavor is kind of like hubba bubba just goes away. And then I don't like the texture. Mm. (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome. Now, you know, Uh, candy is great for Halloween. Not exactly great for your kids though, but is there a right way to eat your candy? Mm-hmm. One dentist has found a brilliant way to protect your teeth from candy, and it's not what you think it is. It's, in fact, the opposite. Eat all of it. It's much better for your teeth if you sit down and eat your full bag of Halloween candy at one time. I know it's going to upset your belly, but uh, it's much better for your teeth rather than we're going to hang on to this for the next couple months, and every couple hours we're going to get in there and get some kind of candy out. Dr. Mason says while sugar-free options are obviously better, there are key candies to avoid for better oral hygiene. The worst kind of candy for your teeth is the sticky, tacky, chewy gummies. Something like chocolate, it's not great for your teeth, but it's a lot easier to cleanse and remove from the teeth. So, that's from WTOV, by the way. The dentist said they normally see more patients, especially kids coming in during the winter months, due to this consistent exposure to candy. So if you want to protect your kids' teeth from candy, you can also donate it. I suggest the dad tax. Just take it and take a chunk of it and eat it. But just to be clear, that dentist said what you should do to protect your teeth is eat all of it in one sitting. So if your partner or your spouse comes up and says, what are you doing? Because of the thousands of empty wrappers on your lap, all you have to say is, taking care of my teeth, babe. Protecting my children. There you go. Oh, that's good too. Oh, that's like yeah. superhero dad level. Milk right? that. Is... I wish I could use that. That's an amazing you excuse. You just become it's like a the dad. best part of having kids. You're going to be a best good dad. Okay. Thank you. Are you okay with? Take a wild guess what this one is. Halloween candy. Nope, Taylor Swift. Are you okay there with Taylor is. Swift? There it is. <laughs> uh, I, I got to be honest. Okay, I'm I'm a fan. I'm not, like not a huge fan. I enjoy some of Taylor Swift's music. You love it. Uh, she recently released the Taylor's version of 1989, which is my and favorite you Taylor to all Swift of it album. Dozens of times. I, I've listened to the original version. So the Taylor's version, just Cole's notes, she re recorded her old albums. So she had full creative control over them because she didn't yeah. like her original producer. Sneaky deal. Yeah, sneaky deal. And not producer, just the sneaky deal. Um, all of the. Uh, New versions are fantastic. This one's terrible. There isn't a single song on it that's better than the original. The production is awful. The drums, the guitars are all gone. I don't know what happened, but and the Taylor Swift fans are rabidly defending it, but I'm sorry. It's trash. The original version, mwah, very good. Trash, new one. Don't listen to it. But Ryan didn't really listen to it. He doesn't care. 
I don't care at all. I don't care <laughs> at all. that rant. What are you talking about? I don't care. <laughs> it's lame. Well, well she does seem no. unstoppable, and she's got an absurd amount of money now. She's crossed a new threshold of the finances. How much money do you think Taylor Swift has now? Billions and 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 billions. 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 Oh, thank you. Uh, only one of the billions, just to be clear there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's only, it's just, a, I just like playing that. Even Donald Trump billion. lies about how much money Taylor Swift has. Yeah. Uh, the incredible, he's in court for that. That's not me being flippant. He's actually in court for lying about how much money he has. The incredible, see, oh my God, did you watch Saturday Night Live this weekend when they, the, the news show that happens in there? Which and they, uh, I didn't know. I didn't actually see any clips. from. Oh, my God. It was so good. They did a Donald Trump thing. And then they were just talking about the court cases. And then they talked about the courtroom sketch. And they said the worst part about this story is that you can't tell which court case this sketch is from this week. Because there's <laughs> so many of them. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Colin Joseph's funny. Okay. The incredible success of Taylor Swift because of super Swifty fans like Ryan O'Donnell. And her eras to her not only brought Taylor Swift's album incredibly to a massive star power, but it's also lined her pockets with quite a considerable amount of do-re-mi. Taylor Swift is officially a billionaire. Really? Yes. How'd I do that? On Thursday, Bloomberg, a financial news organization, shared an article declaring the Shake It Off singer has joined the likes of fellow billionaire artists like Rihanna and Jay-Z. It's just unbelievable. The outlet gave an in-depth look at Tay's finances and road to billionaire status, even crediting her as one of the few recording artists to build a 10-figure fortune almost entirely from her music. It's me. Uh, Ryan loves it. That's entertainment tonight, by the way. This makes Taylor's uh, money earning incredibly unique is that she's almost solely making it from her music. Jay-Z bought, uh, purchased music streamer Tidal in 2015, owns a stake in multiple liquor brands. He's amassed a huge portfolio of fine art and real estate. Rihanna created Fenty Beauty in 2017, became one of the most influential in-demand cosmetics brands to become a billionaire. As for Taylor Swift, Bloomberg estimates she owns about $110 million in real estate through her five properties, but the rest of her net worth comes from the value of her music, record sales, concert tickets, and merch. That's it. What really bumps the pop stars' net worth, though, is ticket and merchandise sales from this last tour and all the tours that came before it. Bloomberg estimates that figure stands at a whopping $370 million from the tour alone absolutely incredible uh stuff that's for sure my goodness okay there you go are you okay with and all of these stories um about halloween candy except one this is the shift podcast the millennial on the radio it's ryan o'donnell Ah, uh, friends. You know, since when do millennials not want to have their face shown online? I thought that was like everybody's dream. Yeah, that's your generalization of my generation. Many people don't anymore because they're kind of sick and tired of it, which get I don't blame them. Here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tell them to get off Instagram and stop trying to sell me stuff. <laughs> he doesn't even have Instagram. No, fair <laughs> enough. Um. So here it is, friends. Halloween is now officially over, but I have 
one more spooky thing that I must do. Over the last week, I have had the privilege to bring to you reviews of several horror movies that spawn across all the little micro genres of horror. And it's all kind of been leading up to this moment where I could review what I believe is the scariest movie ever made. And in my opinion, top five most important films I've ever seen in my entire life. So for the last time in 2023, which makes me sad, Jono, would you please do the honors and bring out the movie wheel with all the movies on it, the spooky wheel. A tiny wheel actually does have spooky movies. It's so terrifying. No one seems to mind. Spooky. Ah, spooky. We got to get spooky one more time, friends. And today I am bringing you a film that quite literally changed my life. It changed my perspective on how I process everything that happens around me, all for the better. And yes, it is a horror movie, believe it or not. And I'm going to try to convince you to watch this movie. And if you don't want to watch it because it's too scary, I'm going to try to tell you why I think it is so special. The movie is from 2014. It's directed by Jennifer Kent. It's from Australia. And it's called The Babadook. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. The Babadook is a fascinating movie, and it starts with us being introduced to Amelia and Samuel. Amelia is a widowed mother, and Samuel is her young son. Now, the from the moment the film starts, you can understand that this is a family that is grieving the loss of the father, the husband, who died while driving Amelia to the hospital to give birth to Samuel. It's an incredibly tragic story and you can tell from the moment the movie starts that that hangs over Amelia's head this uh, the first 30 or so minutes of this film is showing you convincing you of how exhausted this woman is how she is frustrated with raising her son alone grieving the loss of the love of her life and also the resentment that she kind of feels towards Samuel because he's a very problematic kid. He's kind of violent and he's very loud and he's always talking about how he wants to do nothing but defend his mom. Now he won't let anything ever happen to her. Now the movie picks up when Amelia asks Samuel to grab a book off the shelf. Samuel's about six. He's turning seven in this movie so that they can read a bedtime story. And Samuel grabs a red book called Mr. Babadook. And inside of this book is a disturbing and scary depiction of a creature in a trench coat with long fingers, a creepy face, and a top hat. And it's a nursery rhyme about this monster that's going to come and get you, right? And it's clear that it's kind of, you know, uncomfortable. And if you watch the trailer for this movie... And if you see up to that point, you would assume that this is a monster movie. You would assume that this is about some creature that came from the dark that's come to terrorize a family. 
And while that's technically true, this monster is not any kind of creature. The Babadook is Amelia's grief. This movie is about grief and how we process it and how it changes us if we don't understand it. As the film continues, we see Amelia slowly become more possessed and affected by the Babadook as she starts to see visions of this creature, as it starts to kind of insert itself into her life, her work, her health, and eventually a terrifying possession scene, genuinely terrifying possession scene where the Babadook finally kind of takes control. And the movie sort of escalates where Amelia has now been completely consumed by this monster and her son Samuel who is aware of the Babadook who keeps saying this monster is going to come and get us mom kind of has this hero arc where you go from thinking this kid is just the most annoying worst thing ever to this is the only way that Amelia is going to be saved and the film really shows grief here because it's clear that Everything it's trying to get across is relatable. And the reason why I think this is the scariest movie ever made is because we all have a Babadook. All of us have a moment in our lives that's changed us completely and uh, hang over our heads constantly. And we all, all the decisions we make in the wake of those incidents change who we are and everything about us, really. And this movie is about what happens when you ignore it. My favorite line in the book, and when she's reading it, is, I'll make you a wager, I'll make you a bet. The more you deny, the stronger I get. That's what the book says. And how true is that? The more you kind of push grief and, and despair kind of down and ignore it, the stronger it is to kind of come up and change you in the background. And the movie portrays this through use of a scary monster, but also through Amelia's life and what changes. And now, spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about the ending because I realize that many people will not watch this movie because it genuinely is very scary. Eventually, Amelia's uh, possession gets very violent and very, very scary. And there's a moment where uh, Samuel uh, knocks his mom out and ties her down, and he gets on top and screams, you have to let the Babadook out. You have to do it. And he does this thing where he comforts Amelia, where he kind of puts his hand on her cheek, and you can see she finally resists and releases the Babadook from her. And she screams at it, get out of my house, get away from me. And this is where I think this movie is truly brilliant. I mean, it, all throughout, it's fantastic the sound anytime the babadook is present there's this like sound in the background that's so uncomfortable the imagery everything's just kind of off when it's around but in this moment this is where this movie became one of my favorites when she finally defeats the babadook the creature doesn't just like disappear into the void it doesn't like go away and they live happily ever after it literally runs into the basement it runs into the basement and closes the door. And we get a little bit of a scene where Amelia goes into the basement weeks later where she's all happy, she's healthy, she's openly talking about the death of her husband for the first time. She feeds the Babadook a bowl of worms and then her and her son smile and the movie ends. And that's really it. This movie shows that you can never get rid of grief. You can never remove these things entirely from your life. But you can learn to live with them. You can create a understanding between that part of yourself and who you want to be. And this film helped me 
come to terms with my own grief and other things and have reminders of how to carp- uh, how to really think about it. And it's not an easy watch. It is a disturbing, very scary film, but it did change my life. And it is, a, I think, a, a proof that a horror movie can have just as much of an impact on you as a big, giant, Oscar-winning drama or huge romance or an action sci-fi. So if you really want to expand your horizons on, on the horror, watch this movie. But if you've never seen a horror movie before, do not watch this movie. It will mess you up. Work your way up to the <laughs> Babadook, please. Um, very insightful. Convincing. Terrible closing sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh I, yeah I, do not look, watch I wish everybody could watch this movie but it is like it is intense it is absolutely intense and uh the yeah go ahead do you think harry potter is scary no do you think this movie is very scary for people who don't like horror movies yes Okay, there you go. There's the answer. Will not be watching. Really appreciate you sharing the insight. (laughs) Yes, and that's okay. You could watch like explainer videos on YouTube about the themes. And also, uh, Shane, I know this is radio. And you're not really, we can't really show it. But I actually have a copy of the book from the movie that is autographed from the director. I have a pop-up book. Yeah, and it is um, my prized possession. It's uh, handmade. It's got uh, frames in it that aren't in the movie. And uh, yeah, it is terrifying to open and look through. It's a pop-up book. Yes, sir. I didn't even talk about that in the review. It's a pop-up book. Yeah. Oh, Ah, jump scare, pop-up book. Well, that's cool. Not okay, but I'm glad for you. (laughs) Yes. There you go. Spooky movies complete. We did it. That's a year of spooky movies. Thank you. I genuinely really enjoyed doing this. I hope you had fun as well. And uh, yeah, I feel very grateful to be able to talk about them. uh, Your, your review of um, Papa book, (laughs) the movie is uh, very insightful. I think it's very good. I think it's very cognitive and, and uh, insightful and, and um, grounded and real. And I think a lot of people can relate to that about taking those things that you've got to, it's the, the demon in the corner, right? Name it to tame it is what Jody Carrington says. And I think that's kind of what that's all about. That's very great. Well done. Thank you. Ryan O'Donnell, the millennial on the radio. Sounding particularly grown up and insightful. He's like a monk now. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 